You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Welcome back, everybody. So great to be here for another week. And you know... Uh, we have someone special with us today, don't we, Rachel? We do. I'm so excited. You want to introduce yourself? Um, yeah, my name's Bobby Frankenberger, and um, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yay! Now, Bobby is not some random person we pulled off the street, just to be perfectly <laughs> clear, which would be fascinating to try sometime. But uh, you Maybe I uh, heard Bobby's show. He's a podcaster. And I know uh, our regular listeners are familiar with your show because we had your co-host on. Where, where right. are you from, Bobby? Um, well, my uh, co-host, Mora, was on your show. And she, um, she and I do a weekly science podcast called All Around Science. And we talk about yeah. science news every week, things that are going on in science news or just whatever geeky science stuff that we find interesting or just is on our mind lately we cover all kinds of things just just whatever whatever you know you i'm sure you can oh, relate to this it's 100%. just her and i love talking about <laughs> science together and we used yeah. to always do it anyway and we thought let's why don't we just start recording this because maybe it'll take <laughs> some of the pressure off of our spouses um, who have to listen <laughs> to, to us to have to pretend to be interested yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> so, i i feel so, that um, that's what excellent i i feel that yeah, <laughs> yeah and we'll have a well there's going to be a uh, a little trailer for your show uh at the commercial break here so people Great. can uh hear a little bit more about that but we're so excited to have you here uh we've got of course three topics this week to share with all of you our lovely listeners i am the one kicking things off this week and I'm going to be talking about some of the interactions between humans and other animals because I just I find that really fascinating. Yeah. As animals ourselves, I think we cannot help but react to other animals. You know, they we right. we relate to them in maybe a way we don't relate to, uh, I don't know, a rock or something. Although to be <laughs> fair, a lot of us you know relate to rocks too. I like rocks, but there's something special about animals. And I mean, I, I know, I know, as I'm saying, but like, do you feel like do you watch? Well, I'll say, do you watch YouTube videos about funny rocks? I'm sure the those exist. They get up yeah. to? Probably. They pro- I, was, I started to say that, and I'm like, that probably exists, actually. <laughs> that sounds uh, really but, you know, fun. Uh, Is that not fun- like the Playa Rock situation? <laughs> the racetrack? <laughs> funny, uh, yeah. Fun- funny uh, rock videos are trending on YouTube. <laughs> uh, but, you know, but there are like funny dog videos, funny mm-hmm. cat videos, and people spend all this time just watching those and, and taking great joy in being around other animals, like things like horseback riding or bird watching, you know, mm-hmm. these are mm-hmm. interactions we have with animals. And there's research out there too about how animals can be useful in therapy and in mood regulation, how even just petting a dog can really right. like lower your heart rate and just make you feel better. I mean, I always well, feel better after researchers, petting a dog. Right? Uh, researchers Matthew Rockolov. And Nancy Greer uh, were curious about one particular reaction people have to animals, 
and they came up with a pretty awesome way to test it out. It was so great, they won one of our favorite awards. That's right. They won the Ig Nobel Prize. All right. So congratulations to them. They won the 2017 Economics Prize. And yes, there are photos uh, online of them uh, at the ceremony uh, taking the... uh, the rather silly Ig Nobel Prize, about as seriously as they should. <laughs> I should probably explain. They came uh, both with stuffed crocodiles in their <laughs> arms, and the humans uh, were both dressed, uh, well, they were dressed as Steve Irwin. Yes. The crocodile <laughs> hunter. Yes. So you can tell that they were taking the award about as seriously as they should have. Absolutely. I'm just going to jump right in. I'm going to tell you the title of their research paper because it is pure gold. Uh, it appeared in the Journal of Gambling Studies and was called Never Smile at a Crocodile Betting on Electronic Gaming Machines is Intensified by Reptile-Induced Arousal. What? Oh, I am I am intrigued. I'm intrigued and so <laughs> concerned. Why? Well, you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be, Rachel. I thought it might have that reaction. I'm sure right off the bat, your mind probably went to all kinds of weird places. Uh, wondering what on earth this is all about. It likely has to do with that word arousal, I'm guessing, correct? Uh-huh. Yeah, I never know where you <laughs> yeah, go with okay. these things, Kirk. So yeah, I'm Look, a little I nervous. Think, <laughs> I think in general, some of us tend to think that word has a sexual connotation, uh, but that would be sexual arousal. The word arousal just means a person is excited. Right. Right? Oh. So... I will be very clear, that's the context it okay. is in this title. Uh, oh, good. It's a very family-friendly uh, topic. I, I was going to so, say something, but I didn't want it to get isolated, so I won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what this research is all about. Uh, well, this took place, uh, where else, but a place with lots of crocodiles. Florida. Australia. And, uh, well, okay. (laughs) Not not Florida, just Australia. In this case, it was Australia. Uh, they went to actually, the researchers actually went to a local gator park called the, uh, Kurana Saltwater Crocodile Farm in Kuwanga, Queensland, Australia. Gators. They're not Mm -hmm. gators, they're crocodiles. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, and they did, uh, what they did is they used a special gambling app. Okay. And this is a free app that was developed specifically for researchers to be able to use it in gambling studies. Hmm. And what the researchers did is they um, selected people at randomly. Some were interviewed just before entering the park as a control group, I imagine. And then others were contacted just after getting to hold a live crocodile at the end of the tour. And this, this is probably about like a, about a one meter long crocodile it's like a juvenile oh, but it's yeah. got its mouth all like you know mm-hmm, taped mm-hmm. Yeah. shut so it can't bite you and stuff but it's it's a you know it's pretty good sized crocodile for someone to hold who's never held crocodile one. yeah yeah probably <laughs> exciting for people right mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh what they did uh well this, this, and the reason they have this, this is one of those parks that offers like a photo op at the end where you can you know get your picture taken with a crack at the end yeah so, uh, and I don't mean the shoes. I, they, maybe they had the shoes. I don't know. But they, you can hold like, you know, the, the, the live crocodile. And they then had these people just after they had that experience, they had them play some simulated gambling games on mm. this, like, you know, like a, like a iPad or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was basically like a, a version of like poker, like you'd find on some sort of video gambling machine, like a casino or in places that allow in bars and things like that. Right. Okay. So it seems 
from what I could tell from this research, they were also also specifically looking for people who self-identified as having gambling problems. And, mm. and then they wanted to see how those people gambled after holding the crocodile. Huh. And what they found, I think, is pretty cool. It actually changed their behavior. So those who had had a positive experience holding onto the crocodile, uh, who then went on to use the gambling machine, placed bids faster and in larger amounts mm. than those people who had reported a negative experience holding onto the crocodile. Okay. Which is pretty cool. Uh, so yeah. I guess if you have a good time holding a crocodile, you become risk a riskier gambler. Well, I mean, it what makes sense. Out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the state of arousal in general yeah. uh, probably has something to do with that. I'm wondering, did they did they test any kind of baseline gambling behavior on these people before they, you know, like, do we do we know if if the if handling the crocodiles increased their gambling behavior or or not? Like, like, I get that they're comparing the two groups. Right. Yep, um, yep, yep. But in in within the group, did I wonder if there was an increase or a decrease in either group? Hmm. Yeah, and I don't from what I could tell, I don't think they actually had like the same people. They they were comparing them against the control group and trying yeah, to do yeah, it yeah. that way. Okay. Um but it would be very interesting to, you know, look at the individuals as well, like have someone do it before and then go, okay, go now go do the crocodile and then compare their um, And and to and to results. be fair, I guess that's probably has that's probably why they chose a a cohort of people who who identify as gamblers mm -hmm. so that they could control as much of that as possible so that the the control group itself would be appropriately comparable to to the test groups, you know. Yeah. It also yeah, and I think, you know, I'm presenting this somewhat as like, you know, an animal story. Really, yeah. it's a like, you know, it, they won the, uh, the Ig Nobel Prize for economics. Mm -hmm. Really, they were studying gambling, not really necessarily studying crocodiles. Sure, sure, so, sure. you know, partially why I think they were looking at people who um, maybe were considered had like a gambling problem is they're looking at issues of like addiction and how, you know, people are manipulated into uh, having gambling addictions and problems like that. Right. And overall, it does make sense. Like, there's a couple of different things that I could think of why they would choose that particular group, too. Um, they would know how to play, I feel like, for the first part. Yep, yep that's part of it. <laughs> um, that's true. And then if they know how to play and they already are, like, gamblers, they know the risks that they're taking in general. So, I mean, that part makes that's a true. little more sense to point. me, too. Um, also this totally mm -hmm. makes sense that if you hold a crocodile and you have a positive experience that you go on, it's like, I just held a crocodile. I am on top of the world. Of course. <laughs> I can do anything. I can do anything. <laughs> Versus like, well, what's I just interesting had the worst time ever. Is they, they've tried to look at, did, you know, did people associate the way they gambled with holding the crocodile? Mm -hmm. You know, saying like, did you, oh. Do you think that influenced you at all? And they're like, no, 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 that, that didn't influence me <laughs> at all. Not. So people, you're saying, oh, it makes sense. But I think in the moment, people don't realize how their emotional state might be affecting their actions. Uh, of course, I kind of hinted at this. This is really more of a study about gambling than it is about crocodiles. Because you go, okay, why do we really need a study People are not out handling crocodiles and then gambling. Like, so like, what's the point of this? Uh -huh. And uh, 
the the researchers admitted that this was a super contrived situation. Sure. What they really wanted to study was if someone being excited in any particular way changed their gambling habits. And according to the lead researcher, uh, the area he lives in is really, really boring. And so he's like, what can we do that would be exciting? Like, how can we excite somebody? And I want to do the research here, you know, where I live, but there's nothing exciting here, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And I guess it was his, his, his wife was like, well, what about the crocodile? You know, the, the gator park, like, couldn't she uh, do mm-hmm. something with, with crocs? And he's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. A super yeah. fun totally novel experience. So, but you know, exactly. when I, when I was in college, I, I, I was, I, I went and got, I got an experimental psychology degree. So we did mm-hmm. s- experiments with students and with other people and you try to recruit people to your study and that's yeah, a challenge. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I yeah, can totally see Where how this people? would be a, a sort of like almost <laughs> a marketing ploy, you know, like, Hey, come in. Yeah, we got people and we got Crocs. Right. Perfect. Let's do it. <laughs> but you know, also this, this, you say this was, you know, you know, it was a gambling study or economic study. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but it's interesting the the intersection of of how we as humans do interact oh, yeah. with animals. There's a whole there's a whole area of study. I think it's called anthrozoology or something like that. Yep. Um, yeah, absolutely. That is all about that. You know, and it's um and there's there's things to learn about even if it's something as simple as as you know our our interactions with animals have effects on our behavior. Even if it's that broad and mm-hmm. simple, there's still stuff to learn there, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, they could have had people, you know, posing for a photo with a monkey. Sure. Or, I mean, going and watch, but even like something like humans, like riding a roller coaster or watching a comedian or, you know, something that, you know, gave them a positive experience. They just happened to choose crocodiles, which is, I mean, why not? And the researcher, right. <laughs> I didn't read one thing where he said, you know, it did cross my mind as I was choosing this. This would be a, this this might be a good candidate for the Ig Nobel Prize. <laughs> so they kind of knew what they were doing, going going into it. Um, and I will say, you know, if if anyone listening thinks that casinos don't already know about the connection between being excited yeah. and how much you will gamble, then you haven't been paying attention. And you like, may not have ever go, walked through a casino before. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh-huh. Casinos go out of their way to create a like stimulating overly stimulating yeah. exciting environment knowing the more excited you are the more likely you are to place bigger bets and place them faster that's why there's mm-hmm. all the bells and whistles and music and scantily clad waitresses and mm-hmm. exciting shows with fire eaters and magicians and musicians and like the more stimulated and excited you are the richer the casino gets uh, because you're willing to take more risks and i think that's really the most interesting thing here for me is gambling is essentially Mm risk-taking and i find it interesting from an evolutionary standpoint that it must in some way be advantageous to take more risks when you are excited right but there's got to be an evolutionary pressure for that and maybe it makes us better hunters like if you're really amped up and excited to catch a large animal maybe you'll like take a little more risk and get there and, and 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 be the one to be successful um or maybe it makes us better at getting a mate or at least getting to mate, mm-hmm. uh, you know, taking a risk like that. The, the study wasn't really looking at that, mm-hmm. but that's kind of what I'm intrigued about is, uh, you know, like what, what's, why does that, you know, behavior exist from an evolutionary standpoint? Right. So maybe we have to do some more digging on this. I'm sure that has been researched, though probably not in such a fun way involving crocodiles. <laughs> uh, 
There's really not a whole lot more to this story this week. I just wanted to share this bizarre story of researchers having people gamble after being aroused by crocodiles because it's it's so, uh-huh. so super strange. If yeah. you want to learn more, uh, you can read an article that the researchers themselves wrote and see a photo of them with their plushy crocs uh, at theconversation.com. And I'm actually going to include a link to that uh, in the show notes. Oh, excellent. I'm so excited. Great. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to uh, take a break. Let's hear, let's hear a, a promo for, for Bobby's show. And when we come back, we will, uh, we'll hear from the man himself. Hey, listener, are you the kind of person who's like curious about things? Like, do you ever just wonder how or why something is the way that it is? Like, like how are clouds made? I've got a podcast for you. It's called All Around Science. It's a weekly science podcast where me and my co-host Mora geek out about the interesting sciencey things that we've been thinking and learning about. So I know you're curious about things. So are we. Let's be curious together. Listen to All Around Science where podcasts are listened to or go to allaroundscience.com. All right, we are back. Um, and so, I, I in, exactly, I am excited. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I can't wait when when guests come on. It's like they're they're diving into a whole different knowledge pool than the three of us. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, what are they going to bring? It's always yep, exciting. Yep, yep. So, um, yeah. So not too long ago, here at my house, we got a pair of guinea pigs for our kids. Oh. Oh, fun. All right, um, all right. I had guinea yeah, we, pigs growing up. Oh, they're so fun. They're fantastic, cute animals. We have two kids, and they, they just love animals of all kinds. My older daughter, um, she's been saying for years she's going to be a zoologist when she grows up. Um, and so we got sucked into this, you know, small pet trap like a lot of mm-hmm. poor, <laughs> unsuspecting right. parents of elementary school children often do. <laughs> yep. You don't realize uh, all, all the things that have to come with them. It's I, not just oh my gosh, right. you have no idea. I mean, maybe you <laughs> oh, do. I um, absolutely do. We had, I think yeah. at one point in time, sorry, uh, I think at one point in time, so we bought one guinea pig, but it turned out she was pregnant and had three oh yeah, of other guinea pigs. <laughs> and at the time we had like six hamsters and two dogs. And Oh, wow. Know, oh, it was a really, really <laughs> busy house. Well, um... So the way we got into this, the way this happened was we foolishly, or not foolishly, you know, not from their perspective, we uh, volunteered to babysit the class guinea pigs over the summer. Um, <laughs> oh, that's how it happens. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. And so they got kid, they got, mm-hmm. uh, they got the kids got immediately fell in love with them, and so we had to get some of our own. We got them from a guinea pig rescue place in Georgia. We live in South Carolina, so it's a bit of a drive, but um, mm-hmm. our area was going through a sort of guinea pig shortage, and that's strange by itself right that, that, that <laughs> sentence right there yeah. just oh man all the breeders apparently guinea pigs can get covid and that's what was happening so um, oh wow oh, i think i did hear that yeah yeah and uh so anyway we we got in touch in, in georgia with this guinea pig rescue place which um was also an amazing sentence i didn't think i'd hear today so yeah exactly i didn't know that uh guinea pig rescues exist we love rescuing animals our dog is a rescue and 
Um, so we uh, we went and we got them. The place is fantastic. Mm-hmm. This is a, this is a lead up because I'm 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 getting to the dramatic turn here. Oh, um, so it was fantastic. The the place they love their guinea pigs. They go to a huge effort to teach adopting families as much as they can about guinea pigs so that they can be really good caretakers of the animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we learned a ton about guinea pigs. But one thing I learned, I did find very interesting, but was not expecting. It was very strange and weird. It's, it's that, because I didn't know this. And Rachel, it sounds like you probably will have, did learn this. And that is that guinea pigs eat their own poop and they do it on purpose. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, they do. Um, yep. Lovely, yep. It's a it's fun called, time. Yeah, it's a it's a behavior called coprophagy, um, and uh, there are a lot of animals that do this. Um, again, I didn't know this. I mm-hmm. didn't know this was a thing. I assumed that, m- much like humans, all animals would want to avoid their own feces. Oh, um, no. <laughs> but uh, nope. appa- apparently it's very common with herbivores. Uh-huh, um, especially like yeah. lagomorphs and like... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like hares. So lagomorphs are, that's an interesting turn to this story, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. Um, but uh, but so, so apparently it can, it can be really hard to get nutrients out of the grass that you eat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what yeah. guinea pigs eat primarily is they, they're grazing animals. They graze on grass. Um, and so guinea pigs have a, that interesting strategy for getting as much nutrients uh, out, of their, out of their grass as they can, which is they eat it twice. Yep. Um, <laughs> Didn't get enough the first time, sure try do. again. Oh, yeah. um, but it's really cool the way that all of that happens. They have a part of their, their intestines called the cecum, mm-hmm. and the, uh, they eat the grass. It goes up into the cecum, and, and there's a bunch of bacteria in there, and it ferments all of, all of, the, uh, all of the grass and stuff that they've eaten in their in their intestines and then it just hangs out in there for a while and the bacteria produce a bunch of their own vitamins and then because guinea pigs like uh, like humans and like a lot of other you know animals in different ways they a lot of their vitamins especially a lot of different b vitamins they can't they have to get from their diet they can't Mm -hmm. make it on their own Mm -hmm. and so the bacteria help to produce some of those b vitamins and k vitamins and um and then so they they poop it out it's a it's a different color, um, it's slightly mm-hmm. lighter in color, and um, like the first and it, time through, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but not all not all of it does. You know, it's it's only some of them. And guinea pigs, if you've ever owned a guinea pig, they poop mm-hmm. a lot. They poop so much, <laughs> so so, so you, much. <laughs> so you will eventually see this, and uh, and the reason that this guinea pig rescue place told us about it is because apparently they get a lot of phone calls or people thinking that there's something wrong with their guinea pigs. Um, but, uh, sure, yeah. but there's, there's nothing wrong with them. So another interesting thing. So I, I was, uh, we went down this deep dive with guinea pigs, learning as much as we could about them. And they're such interesting animals. Um, first of all, guinea pigs, I don't know if you knew this, they were, uh, they were selectively bred by humans. They're not natural in the Whoa. wild. Well, there are guinea pigs that are in the Andes cuz that's where it came from, the Andes Mountains in, mm-hmm. in right, uh, right. South America. But um but they're they're a different breed. These ones, much like dogs, they were selectively bred to to be um useful to humans, right. primarily as food. Um, right. I was going right. to say useful in a very particular way that <laughs> right. we don't generally use them for. Right. We don't but they still do um, yeah. in uh, certain yeah. areas oh, yeah. in South America and other other places. They still that's, raise that's them. That's their dinner. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they, they a lot of families 
raise them as a as an alternative um, source of income, and and for for that purpose, you know, to sell mm-hmm. as food to restaurants and stuff like that. But um, I this was a whole digression that whole thing because um, <laughs> the point was to t- I was I was talking more about the vitamins that they can't get on their own. Guinea pigs. Yeah. This is this is makes them even more endearing to me. So guinea pigs can't synthesize their own vitamin C, just like humans can't. Uh-huh. Um, we can't we can't make our own vitamin C. Uh, we have to get it from so our they diet. They would not make good pirates. That's what I'm saying. So that, that this the yep. first we place did. that my brain went was <laughs> oh good. That means that guinea pigs can get scurvy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. You're right. That's the first they thing can. I thought of. Yeah, I think they yeah. would. Yep. They are they they can they can be scurvy dogs. <laughs> <laughs> They're scurvy, scurvy pigs. pigs. They'd be scurvy scurvy pigs. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, oh, ooh, right. Uh, scurvy pig dogs. Oh, <laughs> amazing. So, I I can totally see a pirate saying, "I are you scurvy pig dogs?" Yeah. There's no kidding. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of how a guinea pig. It has a very distinctive weak scent, like weak weak, that it makes. Yep. I'm trying to think of how mm-hmm. it would do that as a pirate, but I I'm, I'm can't. Can't quite. Wrap Just my gets head a little gravy, yeah. gravelier. Wait, 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 wait. So, so they eat a lot of hay. We talked about that. Um, one of the other reasons they eat a lot of hay is that they're like, like many small animals, are rodents and rabbits and hamsters and and whatnot. They, um, their teeth are always growing, right? Mm-hmm. So they need to chew on things to keep them worn down, so that they don't you know, become a problem, their teeth growing um, Mm -hmm. oversized and everything. And apparently guinea pigs, if they don't get enough hay, a symptom of the fact that they're not getting enough hay is that they will start, because they've got to take care of this problem, they'll start chewing on each other's hair. Um, Oh, dear. Yeah. (laughs) So so, uh, they're Uh doing whatever they can to uh, make sure. That's one way to do it. Uh Uh-huh. I guess. Rachel, you mentioned yeah. lagomorphs, right? Yes, yes, I did. Yeah, so lagomorphs are um, are this type of animal that they uh, when they're digesting their food, they sort of separate it into two places, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you've you've got the the food that you eat that goes into the large intestines and just makes its way through, like 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 other animals do. It just goes straight through the large intestines and and. And, uh, and then comes out the other side without a problem. Mm-hmm. And then lagomorphs, they also divert some of it up to, as we mentioned already, the cecum exactly. to get some extra processing done. Did you know, this is very recent, that there's recently a debate about whether guinea pigs are actually lagomorphs or not? Ooh. Oh, really? Yes. I mean, if hares are, and I think rabbits are too, if they are and they have growing teeth and everything as well that are similar to rodents and their lagomorphs. I could see guinea pigs being lagomorphs. Well, the the turn lately is that many, many experts think that they're not lagomorphs. What? Because um, it's been thought that for a long, long so time... So you got Rachel were... all excited now. And like, <laughs> oh. But no! No! So um, let me explain. It's still debated. Mm-hmm. So this is not, okay. this is not decided yet. Um, but, uh, but the reasoning being that, uh, lagomorphs, a characteristic of a lagomorph is that it uses, or that it uses the cecum to create, um, those extra different feces droppings that they, that they re-digest. They're called cecotropes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the special poop. 
pellet that they have <laughs> that uh, that they eat again. It's called a cecotrope, but it's made in a very specific way. In a rabbit, it you know the large fibers that they eat go straight through the intestines, but the way that the intestines are constructed, you know, physiologically and and everything mm-hmm. with the ridges inside the large intestine, smaller fibers get redirected to the cecum spend some time in there and then and then usually like once a day with rabbits it's often in the morning they will um they will all the mm-hmm. stuff that's built up in the cecum will get get like an express pass to the anus <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> and it come all of it comes out well, then. Yeah. and then and then they dine on that and that's their morning <laughs> that's their breakfast um what a and breakfast. uh so that's a lagomorph, right? But it does that. But the thing with a, mm-hmm. a guinea pig is that their cecums are very large. It's like 65% of their GI tract. Whoa. Um, yeah, which is unusual uh, for for these types of animals. And, um, and so they don't actually have a distinct way of separating some of the stuff that like, it's just some of it happens to go up and some of it happens to not. And there's no distinct time that it comes out. It's just all kind of mixed in together and they don't have, they don't do it in the same way. So some experts Hmm. are saying that they don't think that, that guinea pigs qualify as a lagomorphs because of that. Oh, well, as we are, we are fond of saying on this show nature laughs at our little boxes like we want to put yeah, it in little boxes and it doesn't no it doesn't no. It doesn't work always work yeah i'm gonna but, consider um, them lagomorphs <laughs> you know what like rachel i I, th- I love the word lagomorph so the more opportunity that i get to use it then exactly know. yeah oh. it's the name of my punk band actually <laughs> the la- the lagomorphs it's, it's not but it could be yeah yeah <laughs> But um, anyway, so that's guinea pigs, and I've got a ton. I've got like way more facts than that, and uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and we could. I could talk about guinea pigs for a long time. Um, but uh, start a guinea pig podcast. Oh, <laughs> no kidding! Yeah. My, I should get my kids to start a guinea pig podcast. They would. Ooh, they would go. love they, that. They would love that. Um, but yeah, I thought they were such. I thought I knew about. You know that they're just. I thought they're just like hamsters or something like that. So, <laughs> so right, I was right. very surprised mm-hmm. to find out how different and 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 interesting and and weird they can be. Um, and I just I just loved learning about them. So I thought I'd share it with you guys. Oh, thank you, Bobby. Thank you. You know, I I have a special guinea pig story. Oh, I want to uh, hear. But it. I. I'm, well, you're going to hear it, but I will say it's going to be, we're going to save it for our patrons. So there's a good Ooh. plug to say, if you're not a patron yet, if you haven't joined the Society of Strange, go ahead and head over to patreon.com. Then I got to share nature. my, and oh, my you too oh, can hear, oh, we're, we're going to share some guinea pig stories yeah. uh, in the bonus material for our, uh, I'll give you the rest patrons. of my facts too. <laughs> yeah. So uh, look forward to that. But for the rest of you who aren't, who aren't patrons yet. I guess you'll just have to wait, and uh, it'll it'll be there waiting for you once mm-hmm. you become a patron. But we'll take a break, and when we come back, uh, Rachel, it'll be your turn. Welcome back, everybody. So I'm going to end our episode with a little bit... I found this wild, uh, and it's... Actually, this ties in well, Bobby. You might have heard about this, because this just broke... The news, mm. end of March. Ooh, so great. 
Um, so we all know scientists study things. That's what scientists do. Um, <laughs> that's well true. spotted. <laughs> thank you. Um, one field that's probably like within the natural world that's probably most well studied and is generally we have found most of the species that exist on the planet um, is the plant field, the botany field, right? Because mm. yeah, like okay. logistically, it's easier okay, because yeah. for the most part, plants don't move. Right. <laughs> yeah. You, you, yep. you find them. You fig. You, you can study them there. Um, and we've just. But just because we've been studying the plants for so long doesn't necessarily mean that we've learned everything there is to know about plants. There's still things that we are learning about plants, like sure. all the time. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So we've talked about a bunch on this show. There's some cr- oh, bizarre, bizarre things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So in a recent study that was published on March 30th in 2023, so not that wow. long ago. Uh, it was in uh, Cell, was what it was published in. Um, okay. Is the uh, paper or whatever. Um, the journal. The journal. The yeah, journal. So. There it is. Um, scientists over at Tel Aviv University have shown that plants actually emit airborne sounds. Wow! Yeah, I think I did read. I don't. I didn't. I. I think I re- remember seeing this about headline. This, yeah, yeah, I, d- yeah. I didn't really dig deep, so I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I mean, I've heard quaking aspen emit sounds, but I'm guessing that's not what you're talking about. No, the plant itself is actually <laughs> creating the sound, <laughs> which is wild. Are, are are they screaming when we trim them, Rachel? Is this what we're going to come down to? I mean, they did test for that. We'll get into it. Um, so, <laughs> oh boy, all right. So, Here like, uh, it's not just like any sounds, like, when you scientists have been studying whether plants can hear, and they have been able to say that they are able to respond to different types of touch or smell or pheromones and things throughout, sure, sure. Um, how people study plants anyway. Um, but when studying um, whether plants can hear or like produce any sort of sound before, a lot of times the equipment was already attached to the plant. So it mm. caused a little okay. bit like, okay, well, may- the plant was probably using part of the equipment. So what they did, what these scientists did, was they actually put um, ultrasonic microphones next to the plant, making sure that it didn't touch at all. And um, they did various stimuli to the plants themselves. So there was the control of where they did nothing. Um, There was a plant where they did do a little bit of a cutting on like the stem. And then there was one that they allowed to dehydrate. Mm. And these plants made different distinct sounds under those different stressors. They made ultrasonic clicking to the point where um, they were able to create, um, they used a machine learning system and AI to see if they could differentiate the different sounds that the plants were making. And they weren't just using one species. They were using mostly tomato and tobacco plants, but they were able to see, uh, but the machine was able to learn not only what the different sounds meant, 
but were able to differentiate between plants themselves. So they could tell, like, oh, "Oh, this tobacco plant is dehydrated, or this tomato plant is injured, or this one is is hydrated and just fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. So that's the crazy thing. It is... And they've been able to, it sounds a lot like little popping clicks. Um, Yeah. Okay. And because the scientists were able to uh, take the noise and like condense it into human hearing range um, Mm -hmm. because it's an ultrasonic range. Right, Um, right, sure. But they also were able to find out while they were doing this, they did this in a greenhouse, they did this in uh, various scenarios to make sure that the plant was actually making the sound. It wasn't just other things happening. Um, so they did, um, they recorded in an acoustic chamber. They recorded in a greenhouse. They did a couple different variables to see if it was the plant themselves. And then they were able to use that um, machine learning, that AI, and the AI was able to differentiate both times, which was crazy. Um but the ones in the greenhouse, the ultrasonic microphones picked up other plants as well. So it mm. wasn't just the tomato and the tobacco plants. It picked up corn. It picked up um, Cabernet Sauvignon grapevines. Ca- picked up wheat plants. It even picked up um, pincushion cactus making similar noises. Wow. Under the same cool. conditions? Under similar conditions, yeah. Wow. Um. So, so like, it's wild to me because, like, we hear plants all the time. We hear their leaves rustling. We mm-hmm. hear lots of things happening um, with plants in the first place. But um, we don't really think about them making their own noise, you know? Uh, they're pretty right. much... We expect them to be silent. And under stress, they do respond uh, with noise, which is so crazy, because that also means potentially that um, there are, and this is what they're actually going on to study. Um, they're trying to see if animals who can hear in the ultrasonic range actually, can, if they can hear the sounds from the plants, and if they, if it right. corresponds at all, like moths or mice, um, see if they can hear those noises and respond to the plants. Dis- plant stress so right right mm-hmm. oh crazy yeah because that's the fir- yeah, one of the first things i advantage yeah that's yeah. that's yeah, exactly that's what i was i was wondering is mm-hmm. is is this some sort of adaptive behavior or is it just by virtue of something that's going on you know you mentioned dehydration yeah, physi- you know it, physiological mm-hmm. response just yeah is there out. something happening to the tissue that is just causing the sound to happen and it just right, right. just so happens to be in the ultrasonic range or mm-hmm. is there some adapt is this an adaptive behavior that would be really interesting to find out yeah um from what i can tell it is something um it is something within the plant like some tissues that are creating the sound but yeah, the yeah. thing is is like it's a consistent uh type of sound that's um distinct within uh, it's a distinctive type of sound. Um, so I, I think it is partly to do with that potentially, but I also think that, um, because it happened with multiple different plants, 
Um, and I think it happened two, like they tested this multiple times with the plants themselves too. Mm -hmm. Um, that is not just, uh, it's not just the plant just happens to make the sound. It seems like they make that very distinct sound for some reason. Yeah. And even if it's, even if it's some sort of sound that's, that is just a byproduct of what's going on with, on the, right. on the tissue level, that doesn't mean that it's not adaptive. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it doesn't benefit them. Um, exactly. So, you know, like, I, yeah, you know, it, maybe it's, it, it, I have a hard time thinking that, that plants are intentionally, you know, c- crying out for help, but right. that doesn't mean that the end result isn't that they somehow benefit from whatever sounds are resulting from that condition that they're in. You know, absolutely, right. yeah. Because like we don't, or it, it could also be that it just it it has it's just a a, a quirk and it means nothing. You know, like yeah, those are things that'll need to be figured out now. I know, yeah. which is super exciting that it even is a possibility. Um, I saw this uh, article and I was just like, I need to talk about this with people. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. that's uh. and that's funny that you say that, Kirk, that that it just might be nothing because because I think we have this bias as people when we look at um, especially evolved yeah. behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, I know or, exactly or, where you're going with this. Or, yeah. <laughs> or evolved like physiology or something oh, like that. That with, it has with... to have some sort of purpose behind it. Exactly. And it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Even even nope. stuff that 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 we that has a, a distinct like feature that you can see and, and are familiar with, that doesn't mean that it was you know, that it got there for any particular reason, right? Um, And it it might not even... a gene that was next to another gene that was selected for another purpose, and it just... Yeah, and it might not Mm -hmm. even be the best way to get done what it's trying... what that gene does, you know? Um, It just is. It just happens to be that it happened that way, so that... that's... Coincidences abound (laughs) in Mm -hmm. nature. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Little boxes, nature laughs at us. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Um, if you want to know more, hear or read more, um, which I recommend because it's an open source uh, journal, um, you can read Yay. more on the title is Sounds Emitted by Plants Under Stress Are Airborne and Informative. Uh, it's in the Cell Journal. It's cell.com. And it's the... I would try so hard to pronounce these names for these authors (laughs) i'm not going to it's not because i don't want to it's because i don't want to just butcher their names so badly because they might not want you to (laughs) yeah absolutely. you're gonna try to respect them by not saying their names exactly um so that was like my main source well people can go check out the check out the article and uh and learn their names oh yeah so that's all I have this for this week. Uh, I think that's just about it. Is there anything you would like to plug, Bobby? Um, other than my my podcast that I do all around science with Mora every week, um, we we cover all sorts of things. We just recently, what did we just recently talk about? I don't even remember. Um, it was really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. 
yeah, you have it's a uh, we we had um a whole show about uh that na- oh I, here we go um that it was we talked about the uh the appeal to nature fallacy oh wow mm. yeah um that the whole, one the whole idea that that natural you know that natural equals good is better yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and um and we talked about we talked about that and. That one drives me crazy. Oh. Here, eat this arsenic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I, I used arsenic yeah. as the exa- as the counterexample <laughs> in that podcast. Yeah, sure. so, uh-huh. um, so check that out. It's all but it's natural, ar- right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. Um, it's all around science, and uh, you can find it on podcast places. Excellent. Don't eat arsenic, children. Please don't. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks all right, everybody, everybody have a good for night. listening. Have a good night. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.